welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode of High Action, we're featuring Lionel Loeke. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of the High Action Podcast. We are very thrilled today to welcome the guest, Lionel Lueke. Uh, He's one of our favorite guitar players, and it was just really cool to get him on the podcast, something that we've talked about for a while. And, you know, we've put out a lot of podcasts at this point. We're getting close to 50, which is going to be the end of our first season. And we're just so thankful that all of you have been joining us on this ride. You know, one of the things I really admire about Lionel's playing is he has a very natural and ego-free way of playing. You know, he gravitates towards music that really resonates with him, and he's really deeply connected to his roots. And so when you hear this guy play and you hear him talk about music, it's like very natural. So I wanted to pose that question to all of our listeners out there. It's like, you know, what kind of playing, what kind of music makes you feel the most natural on the guitar? And that's something that you should really dive into and make a trademark of your guitar playing. So to the three of us, let's try to figure this out. Let's maybe answer this question. I'll go to Will first, you know, in your estimation, dude, what type of scenarios or style of guitar playing makes you feel the most natural? Oh boy, that's, um, that's a great question. And honestly, for better or worse, I always put myself in like basically every situation that comes up, which some, some could argue is not good to do. As long as I'm able to hear my voice, my melody in any context, I'm pretty comfortable. And so, sometimes I don't really realize that I'm kind of doing my thing until I listen back and I hear, oh, interesting, even though it wasn't straight ahead or, oh, even though it was loud, even though it was soft, I can still kind of hear some of my lines or some of my, you know, that weird stylings that just is you, right? Yeah, totally. Um, uh, so it's not necessarily just blues or rock or folk or straight ahead or fusion, original. It's like you can find that anywhere is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, at least I'm trying. Yeah. No, it's definitely succeeding. Uh, John, what about you? What what style, what type of guitar playing makes you feel the most natural? Um Playing acoustic guitar and playing nylon string guitar, uh, just because it's what I did for so long as a little kid and um, playing folk music and just playing stuff that is kind of more rootsy in origin. And I, I think about it like if I would have just kept going in high school and not gotten an arch top or not done an electric thing and just done something on nylon string, but tried to fit into the jazz context like really going for my thing but coming out of that i often wonder kind of what music i'd be playing because so much of the fact that i play electric guitar and arch top was in high school playing in the jazz band and then going to college and studying guitar i kind of had to like go down that that stream Mm -hmm. so for me it's like as much as i love playing boxes and electric guitars and stuff and amps and pedals it's all great but to me like when i sit down with my nylon string and play with no pick um, if, yeah, it feels really natural and it feels like it, it feels so deep yeah. to me, um, com- compared to playing a electric instrument most of the time. Now, see, I know you pretty well. I knew you were going to say that I almost could have predicted that was going to be the answer because I think that's what you want to come out in your playing, you know, and that's what Lionel's done. That's what you've done. That's kind of the example that I want all of us to think about, um, in this episode. Um, for me, it's probably got to be solo guitar playing standards you know it just seems so natural it just seems so easy it just seems so like at peace you know i'm not saying that it's not difficult but it's like i could just feel like i could just do that and chill playing a standard all day you know um for those of you that want to hear us actually play guitar and uh, show examples of the things we're discussing check us out on patreon.com slash new west guitar group 
Uh, you can also go to our website, newwestguitar.com, sign up for our mailing list on there, drop us a line, and you can get up to date on our tours and all kinds of cool things that are coming up. Well, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful episode number 47 with the awesome Lionel Lueke. Hi guys, Lionel. Hi, <laughs> wow, it's been too long, man. It, yes, yeah. it has definitely been too long, but it is wow. great, great to see you, and thank like you so what? much for joining us. Pleasure, pleasure. You know, this is one of the the benefits from the pandemic that we've all been living through is this culture of Zoom, and it is kind oh. of cool. I'm out here in Brooklyn. John and Will are out in Los Angeles, and we're connecting with you, Lionel. And I, I think you're yeah. in Paris, right? No, I'm in Luxembourg. You're right in now. Luxembourg right now. Wow, yeah. what's going on in Luxembourg? You know, family, family's here. Good. Kids, wife. You know, we always follow the ladies, right? So, <laughs> yeah, they're the, they're the yeah, boss. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're the boss. They decide. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So. Thank you for joining us on High Action. I want to officially welcome you to our podcast. We've known you for a while. Uh, we're big fans of your playing, of course. But I have to uh, start out by just telling the listeners that you know I got to meet you uh, when you came to USC to participate in the Thelonious Monk Institute. That's uh, right. That was 2001, and that was the first year that I was entering as a, a little old freshman uh, in the jazz department. So uh, it was really cool to kind of experience the band that you guys had. That Monk Institute band was pretty slamming. I mean, with you and uh, Dana, Dana Stevens, and Gretchen, yeah, Gretchen. Parlotta, wonderful vocalist who we've been able to work with in New West. She's amazing. And yeah. uh, and then, of course, the drummer Frank Nemeth, uh, bassist Massimo Bacati. I want to talk about these guys uh, further with you, but uh, that was a pretty amazing uh, experience, I would imagine. Can you just talk a little bit about the transition of, you know, coming from the East Coast to the West Coast and kind of being in that zone with that group? It was great. It was one of the greatest uh, experience for me, you know, when you come from Berkeley. You know, I came from Berkeley with Massimo and Frank, and Cho, the piano player. And Cho, yeah. He's and, killing. You know, we we were all skinny because of Berkeley. You know, it's not like we don't eat. We don't have football. You know, we pass more of our time in a practicing room. And, yeah. And also, and actually we were, I mean, you know, I remember buying with uh, some of my friends, go to the Chinese restaurant and buy a big plate of noodles we just shared because we were broke. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, here we are in L.A., better, nice weather. You know, it was uh, life-changing, even besides music. You know, it was was a new new experience. And also be able to focus on just music, not to have to worry about, you know, what I want to eat tonight or, or worry about a gig or anything. Just focus for two years playing music was, uh, with the same band, same guys, same people. You love them or you hate them. That's, that was the relation. It was great. We had, the, had, yeah. we had fun. Yeah, I imagine you go through a range of emotions when you're playing with the same group yeah. for two years. The, the, the dynamics oh, yeah. are probably constantly shifting a little bit. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, but I think if you connect with people on a deep enough level, you can kind of deal with the changes in those dynamics. And then eventually it becomes a pretty deep relationship that you've formed. Uh, and yeah. one of the reasons, you know, I was so excited to have you as a guest on our podcast is that, our, you know, one of the themes we have in the podcast are talking to different musicians about the long-lasting collaborations they've had with the people they've played with. And, you know, here in New West Guitar Group, John and I founded this group like 15 years ago, you know, just a couple of years wow. after you showed up at USC. And, you know, we had started this 
guitar ensemble project that has really been an, a special and a wonderful thing for us. And I feel like you could relate um, in the work that you've done with your trio because you know you and bassist Massimo and drummer Frank, you guys are known as Gilfema together. Am I saying that correctly? You say you say it is right. Okay. Gilfema, yeah. And. Yeah. Yeah, I love the vibe you guys have. I've I've seen you perform a few times and um, listened to the albums. And one of the things that really struck me about the way you play with them is you have this great way of interacting with them uh, rhythmically, harmonically. Um, there's a really deep connection that you guys have established. And I was wondering if you could just speak a little bit about, you know, developing a vibe with those two guys, and at what point you knew that you know, these were your guys, that these are the guys that you could trust and develop something with and kind of sustain something with? Yeah, I mean, I knew it from the beginning. The first time we played together, um, it was it was magical, you know. Like, you know how it is sometimes, you, you play with great musicians and, and it feels great, but sometimes you play with somebody that's, you never play with when you have this connection. It's almost scary to the point where you know you have to look at the person. Like, is he looking at my fingers, or it's uh, you know because you just connect right away from the beginning. It, that was the case with Frank and and Massimo. And actually, Massimo didn't even do the the Monk Institute audition with us because I I, I remember they couldn't find a, a bass player so. So, you know, everybody, we all recommend Massimo and they did his audition separately. Well, the thing with those guys is um, it's been more than 20 years. I mean, we developed the sound at, at the Monk Institute, basically, because after playing every day with the band, uh, the three of us were staying just to play another two or three hours before we go home, you know. Or sometimes we go home and come back at I don't know, 11 p.m. and then just play. That's awesome. For two years, I mean, that's how we developed we developed the our sound. And until today, I mean, it's always sometimes people think, oh, you know, you get in a comfort zone with those guys. No, <laughs> you know, well, there's some elements obviously that we know each other and and uh, music and go to. Uh, a direction just by a note, you know. But at the same time, it's challenging because we just keep throwing stuff on each other, you know, so there's no comfort zone. And for me, always has been um, the place I want to live in, you know, just leave the comfort zone. And and and, um, and besides music, we are good friends. I was with Frank what, uh, last Sunday, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we, I was with Massimo yesterday. We were we were on the phone. So to tell you how close we are, you know, and I think it comes out as well when we play. You know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I learned early on as well is that, you know, the personal connection you have with the people you're playing with can sometimes make a huge difference. Uh, yes. It goes a yes. long way and kind of establishing that trust that then allows you to be challenged and allows you to kind of uh, feel like you can step out and and try something new because you have the trust in the people that you're playing with, that they got your back, you know, they're going to... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And also, I mean, when you... I mean, I write... I was composing, I had them in mind, you know, and I had I have chance to rehearse music. If I want to go to the studio and the music... Um, is a little complicated. I mean, you can call anybody you want who's, you know, the greatest musicians on, on the planet. Then they're not gonna have that much time to to work on your music, right? They're gonna show up and they play, you know, right. so, sounds great. But but with your group, your band, your bandmates, you have chance to develop something, you know, and, and everybody brings new ideas just like if it was their own project it's a collaboration so it works for me it's hard to see these days uh, like you guys you know have a band for for that long you 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 see it in a 
in the pop world, you know, you mm-hmm. know in the rock music. But for jazz, you know, beside uh, <laughs> Keith Jarrett, or I don't know, there's not that many bands that stick together for a long time. It's true. And uh, it's, yeah, it's one of the things that I enjoy you know, about your artistry is that you've kept that connection with those guys and it's only grown stronger. And of course, you've collaborated with lots of different artists in the jazz world and, and beyond. But that group uh, with the three of you, uh, Gil Fama, and also your own trio, uh, it's just a really special thing. So I wanted to make sure that I asked you about that. And I was curious, yeah. just diving into that dynamic a little further, I remember hearing you talk about something in the process of how you guys created a lot of the music and you mm-hmm. would say you know sometimes i have this this like riff or this baseline or this groove and i'm not yeah. really sure what it is or how to call it or how to write it or anything and you just play it for them and they kind of tell you what's going on or how to how to put it down or how to write it or is that true is that kind of the process yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah that was that was the pro- it's still the process actually in different ways but yeah, you know, I will. I still do on my phone. I have just scratch scratches of melody or rhythms or bass lines, or, and uh, we just how we started when we moved to New York. How we take the bus, come to Massimo's place. Frank, we 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 get together, and I just okay. Here's on the on my way here. Here's the bass line. Uh, we have a tune like that called Teme. And that 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 was the baseline, you know. I came up on my way to Massimo's place. I said, "Here's here's the line," <laughs> you know. Between them two, between Frank and Massimo, sometimes they used they used to be like, Frank would be like, "No, I feel it this way." And Massimo would be like, "I feel it this way," <laughs> and they would ask me, "How do you feel?" And I said, "Well, I, yes, I, I I feel both ways plus this one." So for me, it was one thing. And then at some point I stopped doing that because instead of me bringing the, the piece of music and, and telling them, okay, here's the way I, I feel it. Here's, you no, know, I just let them do their thing. And then that way I can learn as well, you know, yeah. something I wasn't even thinking about. And then propose to them as well the way I was hearing. So everybody at least has that two ways to deal with the same piece of music, you know. And and we just jam. We just you know, if it's a bass line, we just jam on it. And while we playing the bass line over and over, find the groove. We record for I don't know, maybe ten, fifteen minutes. I just improvise, try to create a melody. Listen back. If we like, we like something. That's gonna be, the, that's gonna be the final bass line or final melody or whatever. And, and then after that, go to the paper and write, write it down. That, yeah, that was going to be my question. Is it written down eventually? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the first Gilfema, no, nothing was written down. The whole music, the first CD we made, the whole music was just like that. There's nothing, you know. The second, yes, we, the last one, we, we did a um, little bit different. We didn't rehearse anything. We just... One wanted to keep the music fresh, so then we write. Everybody writes their part, and we just get together the day before the recording, so we didn't have any uh, time to develop anything. Right, that's wonderful. Thank you for you know giving us a window into that trio. I know it's been at the foundation for you in your career for yeah. so long, and it's just wonderful to get a chance to talk to you about that. And um, Shifting gears a little bit here, uh, on the podcast, we'd like to get a little bit of background from each of our guests. You know, we've been so fortunate to talk to so many great guitar players uh, this last year. And I know that you were born in the 70s in the Republic of Benin. Am I saying that right? Benin? Benin. That's correct. And, you know, I know you didn't start playing guitar until you were 17, which is somewhat unusual uh sometimes people start a, a little earlier <laughs> i wouldn't say it's late or anything um and i imagine that music played a big part of your life growing up in other ways so could you talk a little bit about what music the the role that music had in your life when you were a younger person yes uh, yeah a big role um uh when i was a kid like most of kids um Back then, you know, our playgrounds were 
play music for different reasons, you know, like, you know, I would bring my mom, my mom's pen or somebody would bring the fork from the kitchen. There were music every, pretty much every day on the streets or different um, music for any kind of ceremonial like birth or death. Or, there's always music somewhere, traditional music. So, you know, but the reason we were putting I mean, we were putting so much energy as kids playing music was we wanted to make some coins. So what we were doing was <laughs> going going from houses to houses and and play music for, you know, we, Africa, you just open the door. If you're lucky, there's no dog. You just get there and, and play music. <laughs> and, and, you know, percussion and singing, we have one person dancing and uh, then they just give us some coins. And for us, it was uh, getting, getting some coins to buy some candies or whatever. So... That was the motivation, <laughs> basically. I mean. Yes, but I realized later on that that was that was the biggest foundation for me as a musician today. You know, because what I do, I relate a lot to that moment where you just get information. You just keep learning without even thinking that you play music. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then um, my older brother was a guitar player. Okay. He's a he's a banker now. <laughs> but he I mean he was a genius for me. He I think he still he doesn't play anymore, but uh, he was the, the musician that I wanted to imitate when I started playing guitar, you know. That's yeah. great to hear and it sounds like even though you didn't pick up the guitar until 17 or so that you know music was just a part of your life from such yeah. an early age and and then at some point shortly after you started playing the instrument uh, you got into jazz. You heard George Benson, you credit, and others to re- that really inspired you to take the instrument seriously and start studying. And uh, I think you ended up in Paris, right, at the American School of Music uh, to start to start some formal studies. And that took you to Boston, uh, eventually for Berklee School of Music. And then, as we've mentioned, on to the Thelonious Monk Institute at the University of Southern California. And you know, this is when I first met you and started and heard you play, and we were talking about it before you uh, got on the call here today, but I think when I first met you, you were playing like a semi-hollow electric, or maybe it was a fully hollow electric, and uh, it might have been a Yamaha, I'm not totally sure Uh, if I I was, that's correct? Yeah, 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 it was, uh, no, it was, um, I still have that guitar. This is 2001. (laughs) Man, I have it. You have it right there. Uh, oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Check this out. Yeah, that's, that the, that's the one. That <laughs> that's the one, the sunburst. I it's noticed. a GB, GB10, George yeah. Benson. Yeah, and I still have this like, first guitar I bought when I was in uh, Paris. And I said, you know, I don't, I just keep it. <laughs> I yeah. don't play it anymore. But, you know, it's part of uh, the, the history of, you know. Of course. This is, this is, this is it, man. I was it when I moved to LA. I was, yeah. <laughs> I, re- I remember you, you seeing, right. seeing that sunburst, uh, seeing you play that sunburst guitar with the Monk Institute and being like, wow, this guy's got a cool vibe, you know? Like he's kind of approaching it with some different influences and it's it's kind of a more of a unique approach to the instrument, which I thought was tremendous. And what I wanted to ask oh, you, you about was um, sort of the journey that you went on at this era. Because I noticed, you know, from the outside looking in and admiring your playing, I noticed that you transitioned to nylon string. You transitioned to playing more with the fingers. And I may have had some brief conversations with you in passing, you know, in the USC area where you were saying, oh, I like the fingers. I like the way I phrase with the fingers better. It's just more natural. How did you get to that point? What what sort of drew you to sort of change your sound and, and your phrasing a little bit? That's a good question, man. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was at Berkeley, I studied with um, uh, Mick Goodry. Yeah. Right? And Mick, you know, play with fingers, but I never was interested to play with fingers, you know. When I moved to LA, I, I just start hearing my sound or my playing more, you know, in a polyrhythm way, you know, like I, I just, I couldn't do it with the peak. So I wanted to find a, I said, man, play with fingers will help me, you know, the way I play, build, muting the sound or, or the, having different 
um, I mean, having some polyrhythms, it would make more sense for me to be able to control better with my fingers. And I and you know, the sound of just touching the string is a whole. It was a whole new thing for me. I never, you know. And so I decided to take. I was I was studying with Mick. Uh, no, not Mick. Uh, Joe Diorio. Yes, who I want to talk about. All right, exactly. I was well. studying with Joe Diorio, and uh, he was the only pro teacher I was studying. Jazz um, wise, then I wanted to study classical. I can't remember the teacher. It was a great teacher in uh, at UC, uh, um, USC. And, was it Brian uh, he Head? Was, was it Brian? Yes, Head? I, I, I actually remember Thank that. You. Yeah, I remember you were. That's with right, him. man. I gotta, I gotta. Yeah, that's right. I gotta try to contact him, man. <laughs> oh, Brian. So, yeah. Brian, exactly, man. He changed my life. Seriously, yeah. I mean, I remember sitting in his room and he was work, work just w working behind me you know like you hear the sounds like my arm my the position the sound and I so I studied with him for I think a year but you know I told him I said I'm, I'm not gonna be a classical guitar player I, I know I'm not gonna be that person all I wanted was just my right hand you know to get some some help. Uh, to to be able to do what I want to do, and he did. He helps me. So I decided suddenly. I I said to the monk. I mean, I didn't say anything. I just decided. Okay, no more peak. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Out of the blue, I just like that's it. That's it. So I'm not doing. So I was uh, the monk. I start playing with Terence. He was the musical director, Terence right. Blanchard. So during the weekend, I was playing with Terence. You know. So I remember. First gig when I dropped the pig was in uh, in DC uh, jazz club over there. So Blues Alley, Blues Alley. Yeah. So we on the stage, right? I put my I put my pig in my wallet. So I'm playing. You know, I was it was I was so frustrated. I couldn't play really. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean it was terrible. I couldn't the sound everything. I was oh man. So I get frustrated. I open my wallet, pick up my pig. I said, ah, back to the peak. Yeah. The next gig, I say, you know what? I just want to leave the peak at the hotel. I'm not even going to keep the peak on myself and deal with this thing. Otherwise, I'm never going to do it. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I did. And that that was from that moment, I never, until now, I mean, if you give me a peak, I would sound terrible because I just like, well, you know what? I'm going to approach this thing like a new technique. And that's what I I did. I'm still struggling with it, but it's getting better. No, it, it sounds great, man. I mean, so <laughs> when you when you first in DC, when you put the pick down and just the fingers, were you still on uh, the steel string? Like, were you still on the yeah. electric? Okay. Well, I, w I was playing also nylon. Uh, I remember. I remember. I was playing uh, uh, silent Yamaha uh -huh. nylon. I had that one, and that's that was the, I started the transition to the nylon. Right. And then I start playing Godin, and then I stopped completely. Yeah, uh, electric guitar. Even when I was playing with Herbie early gigs with Herbie, I was playing uh, that silent. You know, I was like just playing nylon. You know? Yeah, I, then, I, I mean, especially with the nylon string, I feel like the sound you get from the fingers—it's just so much more beautiful than what you're going to get with a yeah. pick on a nylon string, um, for the most part. I mean. Pat Metheny is a guy that gets a beautiful nylon string sound with a pick. Oh. Uh, it still, you know, baffles me that he can get that sound like that with a guitar pick on a nylon string, but yeah. he's figured it out. So if we ever get him on the podcast, we're going to ask him, how do you get yeah, that absolutely. nylon string sound with a guitar pick? What the heck? <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, listen, speaking of great guitar players, I uh, wanted to ask you, one more question before we get into some of your own music, uh, and that is the time that you spent studying with the masterful Joe DiOrio at SC. Oh, man. Uh, he was a big influence on me. I studied with him practically for four years, as did John. Will, who's a little younger than us, never got a chance to meet Joe DiOrio, but we did interview him on the podcast, and that interview is going to be coming out at the end of this season. But, oh, I want to you see know, you know, I remember like oh. uh, waiting outside his office, his little room, and hearing you guys play together because you probably had the lesson before me a few times. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember we crossed a few. Times yeah, later, and yeah. 
you know, I was just so green back then. It's just, it's just amazing to think like how different things are now, but he was a huge influence. And I'm just curious to ask you, you know, like what was it about his playing or his teaching style that's kind of stayed with you or resonated with you deeply? Well, the first thing was, you know, his vibe, his vibe, man. He yeah. Was a, you know, positive guy and all about playing. You know, let's play, man. Let's do, you know. I had so much fun, like, every time I was going in his room, you know. Just, I know it's going to be great. And then he gave me so much, you know, all the the fourth stuff. Mm-hmm. That I still, I still use because people sometimes say, man, you use a lot of fourth voicing. I say, yeah. I mean, I got that from Joe, you know. Yeah. Um, then I passed a lot of fourth line. I mean, lines. I don't know anybody, <laughs> guitar player who play, who plays so well. I mean, who developed so much playing fourth, like McCoy on the guitar. Yeah. I mean, for me, he's a, and he's a great teacher. I mean, it's it's hard to to have somebody in front of you who who's good at both. You know, you can mm-hmm. have a good teacher who's not. Always a good player or a good player who's not such a good teacher, but he he for me was uh, the person who has both clearly and well done, well prepared, and and I remember uh, Pat Pat Metheny playing at yeah. USC, yeah, I, yeah, and I remember I had my lesson and I think they did a workshop, yeah. Together they played duo. Yeah, we were John and I were there. You were there, right? Yeah, you were there. Oh, yeah. Oh, you were there, man. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Anyway, they know. played. They played like all the things you are, and I remember Pat exactly. just like Pat just burned down like you know just the most quintessential Pat solo. But this is like home court for Joe Dior. These are all his students. It's his you know yeah. whatever. Yeah. And so I remember Pat takes this amazing solo, and everyone's going wild clapping after it. John knows what I'm about to say. And then Diorio comes in with one of his quintessential kind of licks going from one end of the guitar to the other. To the other. And everybody just lost it. Everyone just went wild. He's like he's like leveling up on Matheny, you know. Oh Oh, man, man, my God. That was a fun time. Or or remember when to when Pat played something his, you know, crazy fast line and then Joe played everyone lost it you know because pat just and even pat pat yeah. almost lost it right there too yeah you know? man yeah, that was that was wow. a special day man exactly I, you know that that day stick with me forever man i was like whoa yeah that was fun yeah. i yeah glad we got to be a fly on the wall for that one um well at this time i wanted to just play a track from uh, a record of yours, just a clip of it. And uh, this is an older album that you've released from 2006 called Virgin Forest. So I'd love to play this and talk about it a little bit on the back end here with John. But this is a song called Benny's Tune from uh, Virgin Forest. Here we go.
Yeah, man. Wow. wow. Boy, that brings back some memories here. I remember hearing that record, Perry, with you. Yeah. I think we were on the road with New West, and we were listening. Lionel, we were going through a big phase of your music. And oh. I remember that wow. record. I just, I couldn't get enough of how beautiful that nylon strings oh, sound. And yeah, man. And I remember it got, <laughs> I remember being at USC, Lionel, and I was interning at the Monk Institute for Dan Seif, which he says hi, by the way. I just texted yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I, he said, oh, my gosh, say hi to Lionel. So Dan Seif, direct, director of the Hancock Institute, says hi. Um, but you and me and Dijonette was clinicking you guys and Dan. And we all walked to the commons to get lunch. And I'm sitting there at USC with all the USC students walking around, you know, football players and just random college kids. And, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm having lunch with Lionel Oeke, Jack Dijonette. Dan Seif and you know it's just it was so it was like a dream man and and we had just met and I think it was around the time that Matheny came like we were talking about because yeah. when Matheny met you in 101 I'll, I remember you were there with Joe and Pat walked in and said oh you know it's so great to finally get to meet That's true, you yeah. Yeah. yeah and that was like Perry said I was a fly on the wall for a few year lessons on those Fridays when Diorio and you guys were in there and I would listen and hear what oh. you guys were <laughs> so man it's but, it's so great to have you today and um perry did so well at just kind of setting it up for our, our audience to just kind of learn more about about you because you're such an important guitar player one of the things that struck me so much about your playing when i first heard you in person um back when i would sit in on those rehearsals with the Monk institute and listen to you guys was how well you fit into that situation and how well you accompanied people and there you have this mastery of being able to interact but not interfere with what's going on and guitar is a tricky instrument for that because a lot of times guitar players will play too much or they won't play at all with piano players and I'm just curious do you feel like your work with Frank and and Massimo kind of incubated this way of playing where you could do muted kind of percolating accompaniment parts and these little guitar parts that sort of lie between playing regular lines and playing chord voicings. Um, I'm just curious. And if Herbie influenced you to kind of do that. Big exactly, time. Right, you know? <laughs> yeah. Good question, man. Big time. I mean, I was going to say Herbie, mostly piano players because, um, that was the other reason when I decided to play with fingers because I wanted to divide my time and my comping, my harmony structure close to the piano, you know, because I realized that most of the guitar players, you know, when we play, either we're comping or we're playing lines, you know, playing both at the same time. We don't hear that much. I mean, today, I would say the, the person who does it very well is Kurt, you know. There's not that many guitar players who you know it's like when we start playing lines we forget about or we we hear the harmony but we suppose that the listener is also listening i mean hearing the harmony so it depends on the situation um if uh if i'm the only one harmonic instrument i might take chance to even you know spend my harmonic vocabulary or, or the way i i balance between the, the chord and, and lines you know I wouldn't play if I don't find my space between. I'm, now I'm talking about comping. You know, it's I have to find a way. For me, it's always been I want to help the music. <laughs> I don't want to be playing just because I, I'm on stage and I have to play. Um, and it happens to me a few times where I'm on stage and I didn't have time. I didn't have a chance to play that much because I couldn't find my space between what's going on. Uh, for me, it's important, and I always put comping first before solo so um, that's where i came from you know that's uh, being uh, um, african guitar players nobody cares why you're solo <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you well, dance. oh man i don't know about that you're a brilliant soloist but it's so true the accompaniment man our, our instrument by nature i mean going back centuries is an accompanying instrument for accompanying for dance yeah. accompanying for for song it's an instrument that the range fits so well with the voice so it, yeah. it blends well and it, it very much leads itself to accompaniment and i find it amazing that in a lot of modern jazz a lot of younger guitar players don't seem to emphasize yeah. a lot 
of how they accompany people, they more emphasize on how they really lead and and develop their their lines. I mean, it's just part yeah. of, I guess, the the machismo of being a guitar player sometimes. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, man, th- yeah, I mean, it's something that really drew me in and all, continues to draw me in about your playing. And something I suggest people who are checking you out, maybe for the first time, who are listening to this, really go listen to how you fit into, I mean, that Laura uh, Mavula record I heard you on is oh, amazing. Yeah. the Leon, the uh, Luciana Sosa record. Um, I mean, I'm just, it's, it's great, man. And thank you, you know, for another question I had about your musical taste here a little bit. Um, you're also a master at blending your, just your voice, your vocal quality into your recording. And like, there's a lineage of this in guitar with George Benson and Kurt Rosenwinkel and, you know, even some other bebop guys would do that. Um, I love singing and playing too. And I'm just curious, is that something that is happening a lot for you in a very natural way? Or is it something that you really include as a part of your practicing that you sing everything that you're playing and that you really try to vocalize a lot on your own uh, in preparation for when you have um, a gig or when you're working on some music yeah. with your group? Another good question. I mean, I used to struggle with that, to be honest, you know, um, because it is something natural for me. And I think it started, you know, when I was imitating Benson. And so I have a, I have different um, period. The beginning was just imitating Benson. And then it stick with me. I was doing it. Then I couldn't leave it alone, you know. Uh, and that was the... <laughs> The annoying parts, you know, being in a recording <laughs> studio, you know, and recording acoustic guitar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like, damn, bro, I don't want to hear that. You know, nobody want to hear it, starting from me. So I I struggle a lot with that. You know, at some point, at some point, I said, well, listen, it's part of your sound. Don't fight too much against it. Embrace it because it's always going to be there and work work to make it better instead of you know and and listen to it so that that was a switch part switch moment for me like before i was just singing whatever the guitar my fingers were wherever my fingers were going and that from that point i was like i want to play now what i'm hearing because i'm not a singer so it changed my phrasing you know it's like now my phrasing is breathing better because they're not moving automatically like they will. They were doing before. So now I'm trying to to play what I'm hearing, and what I'm hearing. If I'm singing, I have to breathe. So automatically, my phrasing is that nice. breathing. So that helps me a lot. Um, so it is part of uh, of, of what I do, and you know, I I keep pushing it. And, you know, maybe I use it um, one line. I use it with a click, the melody, the click, and the guitar doing something else, or the guitar is just following, or voice is just following the guitar. So it goes to different directions, depends on what I'm doing at the moment. You know? Right. And like you said, being in the moment and that situation, it maybe comes out naturally. I mean, obviously, yes. Keith, a lot of other people that vocalize when they play, have. It, there's a lot of what they've talked about, it just being in the moment yeah. and wanting to sing and speak what you're playing and again yeah. our instrument lends itself very well to that because mm-hmm. we're, we don't have a we're not playing an instrument with a mouthpiece and exactly. uh, yeah it's Sorry. so true man and sometimes when we're young people we're cultivated to sing and other times we're told not to sing you know and, and that yes. can really shape when we grow up how if we feel bashful to sing and yeah, working exactly. with students on that can be a real challenge because i agree i feel like getting them to sing that allows them to play what they're hearing, yes. which is the connection we want to develop when we're improvising and when we want to build the flow and the mm-hmm. freedom. Yes, indeed. This episode of High Action is brought to you by Jeff Traugott Guitars. Jeff Traugott is an amazing luthier. He's based in Santa Cruz, California. New West has a long history with Jeff. We've performed on his instruments for almost 15 years now, in particular models like the R and the BK. Jeff's instruments are amongst the finest in the world for flat-top acoustic guitars. Uh, Chris Martin of Martin Guitars says, Builders like Jeff have helped raise the standards of our craft to the highest levels ever. So for more information on how you can find one of his instruments or to check out his current offerings, 
visit tragotguitars.com. You know, it's so great to to get to meet you. I've been a huge admirer of yours for years and years. Oh, um, I first heard the first album of yours I heard was Caribou. And, oh yeah. You know, like the way you played Skylark. That was your voice, that was your musical world that I could hear just from the moment I first heard it. You know, I I still hear it on the on the new HH album and I wanted to get your insight on finding your musical world and how that that in itself takes care of you finding your voice which obviously mm-hmm. you have an, a beautiful distinct voice but finding your own musical world what does that mean to you well it means include in my writing and my playing all different influences i had uh, i have so it is important for me it's like um, um before i get before i play a gig for example i try to avoid to listen to any anybody mm-hmm. you know because i know that anything can influence me i, I can even if i'm not even pay attention it's going to be there it's going to come out so for me that's the way it is for for life you know whatever i do travel everything is going to come out somehow so I pay a lot of attention to that. So when I compose, you know, um, all those elements come, they come through my composition. I do pass a lot of time thinking about the direction, where, what kind of music I want to play, or if I have a CD coming, what kind of direction I want to mm-hmm. give to this project. And this has been helpful because um, it always helped me to work on different things. You know, I might, I might be focused on bebop for a while. Even if I'm, I don't sound like a bebop player, I might focus on classical or listen to, I don't know, Ravel for a while. Uh, maybe I will get some movement and development of ideas from classical. So it's always getting ideas of whatever I'm listening, whatever I'm hearing at the moment. And get, I mean, get inspired by that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I love how delicate and yet how funky your playing is, especially oh, when we talk you. about your finger technique. Um, and I have to ask, you know, especially live, what are some what are some challenges you've experienced playing the delicate way you play and having that cut through a band, cut through a mix live? And then what are you know, including well, I'm sorry, let me ask that again. So what are some challenges you faced with that? And how has your bandmates evolved with you to allow your playing to cut through that? They're probably not bashing yeah. a lot, for example. You know? Yeah, yeah, it is important to mix with the volume. I mean, for me, that's always been my thing. Even if, even if I'm not the leader or whatever, I'm just in a band, the volume, how the sound is coming to me, I will react to that. So uh, it was a little struggle at the beginning when I was playing uh, like uh, uh, that period of Virgin Forest. I was playing golden guitar, um, nylon strings, you know, there's not that much sustain and how much I can push the volume without the body start, you know, feeding back. And so I was limited. I couldn't do that much. And... um, and I think that's also was also the reason why I start uh, using the, that uh, Yamaha nylon because it has no body, so I can push ball. But then I'm losing the, the body sound. Then I started I start moving to electric. So it always been um, a challenge. Live uh, now it's not a it's not a big deal because uh, I think I finally get the gear that can help me to do that. You know, I use in ears so. Uh, there's no thing that's coming to my instrument to vibrate the, the body. If I'm playing acoustic, um, I'm using my the camper. So everything is shaped the way I want. So I can, if I want to play loud, if I want to play soft. But personally, to have the control of the sound the way I want it, I can't play too loud because if it's too loud, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm I have no control. 
-hmm. If I play too soft, it's not the right way because then I start pushing because I play with my fingers. I start attacking more, so the mm -hmm. sound start breaking. If it's not what I want, so um, playing with the music musicians who who listen, who balance. Um, whatever coming coming to them is uh, is important for me and uh, always been a challenge. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, hearing, hearing this insight. Yeah. Um, I got to hear you play at um, the Hancock Guitar Competition back in the old world when people gathered in auditoriums. Right, um, right. I was one of the semifinalists. I got to hear you play. I think it was with Terrence. I think and. And you were playing an electric, I think, but I don't remember yeah. what kind of guitar. And I think you had a wah pedal and maybe oh, yeah. some octave stuff. And it sounded so funky. And, <laughs> you know, again, inside your world, there's different voices. That's a totally different voice than the way you're playing on the HH album. But just talk about some of those cool electric colors that you incorporate, because I love that stuff. Yeah, thank you. I, I always, you know, I started with electric, then I went acoustic, then I... For me, any any pedal I'm adding to my to my gear is is for is to help me to bring something that I'm hearing that I couldn't get um, with a clean sound. You know, mm -hmm. like I give the, the example of how I get to the whammy, for example, because um, mm -hmm. I can bend the notes. You know, two octaves down or one octave down. So the idea for me was the talking drum, how I can get you know, the sound of the talking drum from Nigeria or Senegal or any West Africa uh, drums. So then I, I was like, wait a minute, why me? I can put octave. So, you know, if I put go, then that's it. Then I can play around. So uh, connect, collaborate, I mean, add what to that or add other things to that. Um, I'm always looking for uh, sound that will help me to do better what, I, what I'm hearing. So as long as I can um, be inspired by by the pedal, I'm definitely adding to my set. You know. mm -hmm. yeah. Can you talk about rhythm guitar playing and some things that yeah. are really important to you about that? I, I'm at the point where I don't separate rhythm guitar from solo guitar because um, for me, a good solo guitar has a, you know, it has a rhythm behind to a rhythm guitar I grew up like I said uh, as I said uh, as a rhythm guitar player actually at the beginning I was uh, playing the first guitar the lead in Africa we have three guitars so I give you a, I give you a quick example you have three guitars so three guitar players plus the bass player so the the the, the lead guitar player always played the, the high register right the the second guitar player who's just comping, playing in, in the middle, and the third guitar just comping with open strings. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. That's that's it. And those three guitars work together. They go like so. The comping always been. That's how you know. I was a lead guitar player. They they fired me from the lead guitar player because I was changing <laughs> too much. You know? So they said, "Dude, no man, you gotta you know it's just you, you play the song for I don't know forty minutes, people dancing, so you don't change things like that. You just you know. So so for example, here is the way I the way I learn music and grow up that stick with me until today. You know, if I do. Uh, that would be the first guitar right that would be my thing so i'd be playing that for and then sometimes move to the second guitar so that's the first second and then you have the lead who has all the juice even so, what I'm talking about the lead, even by doing that, for me, it's a, it's a, it's not lead. It's lead because it's high, but it's rhythm guitar mm -hmm. because the lines repeat as well. So that's where I came from. Um, so comp, you know, rhythm guitar is big part of what I do. So even if I'm improvising, I still want to use a lot of. It informs you know, your kind of, your improvisation. Exactly, exactly. It's big part of it. You know, when I hear your your playing and 
the the worlds that your songs enter, it reminds me a lot of artists like Sally Nayolo. Are you familiar yeah, with Sally? Yeah, yeah, I know Sally. Of and, yeah, yeah. you know, that whole genre of Bikutsi music, which I love that stuff so much. And it's the funkiest and yet the most soulful type of music. One last thing I wanted to get your insight on. The thing that stands out to me about that music is that you can hear it in like a fast four or a slow three all at once. Yeah. And I know, I know you have thought a lot about this and like talk about how being able to feel both of those, you know, both a fast four, you know, at the same time interweaving how that just is like this magic realm of groove. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a good question. And it's, it's, it, it, co- it goes back to what I was saying earlier with Frank and Massimo, you know, like Frank would say this, I feel it this way. Massimo would say, I feel it that way. That's exactly, well, anything I play, any lines, anything I hear, or anything I play, or I hear all the subdivisions. So I don't hear, I don't hear anything. I don't hear lines in one group of, you know, I don't know if I do, if I do, um, <laughs> For example, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So if I count, say, one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. I hear that word here. So, that's the three, that's two, golden one, ratio, two. man. So, so for me, it doesn't matter. Whatever phrase it, whatever it is, I hear all those layers, three, two, six, eight, or 12, or, you know, mm-hmm. all the subdivision going up. So my playing goes between those, you know, one way. If, if I'm thinking big three, one, two, three. Oh. See, my phrasing is very clear. If I think... One, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. See, there's a ghost note going off here. So that ghost note that people don't pay attention to is, uh, for me, what's, you know, hyping the groove, you know. And when so, you hear them all layered on top of each other. Exactly. Uh, so great, yeah. Man, thank you for your insight on that. Um, we have another song of yours to play, but yeah. Lionel, such a pleasure, man. It's it's so great to talk to you about this stuff. Yeah. Pleasure too. Pleasure yeah, too. absolutely. And um, you know, all these years later, now you do a uh, tribute record to Herbie Hancock called HH. Uh, I think it's a solo guitar record for the most part. I've listened to about half of it. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, yeah. you're the perfect person to do a tribute to Herbie. You've been playing in his band for probably close mm. to a decade right or more yeah, i got more than 15, 15 years, years yeah. that's right and you cover one of my favorite tunes to play uh solo and uh, just in general dolphin dance so um before we let you go i just wanted to play a quick clip of this tune for our listeners to hear some of your wonderful playing solo so here we go
Yeah, man. Beautiful. Wonderful dynamics, great tone, so melodic. Uh, Linnell, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you for your time here today, for joining us. I hope it's not too late out in Luxembourg for you. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash newwestguitargroup. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.